0: Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The NABC Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield, and now your host, Tim Doyle. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Tim Doyle, today we're joined by Missouri State head coach Dana Ford, and going through your bio, what a journey it has been whether it was Division One basketball player, an assistant coach. But early on in your career, did you ever imagine that you'd be in this position that you are right
1: now? Well, I think most guys that, that join the coaching ranks, you know, they dream of being a head coach. And uh, we, we know how difficult it is. But um, to, to, to think that I would be the head coach at Missouri State, uh, that, that never crossed my mind. But, <laughs> but definitely very fortunate. It's, it's such a great opportunity. It's a great job in uh, a great conference and, and um, just just very excited and blessed to, to, to be able to do it.
0: When you were a graduate assistant, um, what advice can you take from that journey to some of the young people right now thinking about entering the coaching profession?
1: You know, I think uh, one of the best things I was ever told when, when I was a, a, a young coach or a graduate assistant is, is do more listening than talking. And uh, Chris Lauer used to be the head coach at Southern Illinois. Uh, he he shared that 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 word of knowledge with me and uh, I was fortunate because I played for uh, Porter Moser who, who's a fantastic coach Greg Marshall was who I was a GA with another great coach and so I had the opportunity to to learn from guys like that and then when I became an associate head coach it was with Dan Muller and so Dan had spent a lot of time with Kevin Stallings and so uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to to learn a lot just by listening to a lot of those guys.
0: Is that how you came up with your own identity? Kind of grabbing from, oh, I like that with him. Oh, I don't like that with him. Is that kind of how you built your own coaching personality?
1: It is, uh, as well as you know, my high school coach. Uh, a lot of what we do, I learned in high school, uh, but 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 most most of what we do or what we try to do. Has been formed through lessons I've learned from each individual, and like you mentioned, uh, uh, doing things that we really liked, and then maybe not doing some other things. Uh, not to say that we didn't like them, but but they may not be a fit for us. And um, I think it's I think it's wise that that you learn from the people that you work with, because I, I really think that that your your life is destined to meet people as opposed to uh, trying to uh, watch videos from people that you never really worked with because there, there's some ins and outs of things that aren't always learned while you watch a video. And so, um, you know, I, I really uh, believe that I, I worked for those people for a reason. I played for those people for a reason. And and, and that reason is to, to do some of the things that they taught me.
0: How have you changed with the resources changing? And I called some of your games at Tennessee state. You know, I was at those arenas where, they were maybe thinking about asking us to play. They were like, you guys got any eligibility left? And now you're playing in front of eight, 10,000 people. Uh, you got a team that I believe that if they get into the tournament could do a lot of damage this year. Have you changed as far as with the resource changing the, the money changing, the ability changing, like, has it made it easier to coach or harder to coach?
1: Well, I think it's made it easier. And, um, you know, when I was uh, hired as a Division One assistant, it was with John Cooper. He was the head coach at Tennessee State. And um, he, he used to always say, we, we don't have everything, but we have everything we need. And so um, although they, they lack some resources, we still had the things necessary to be able to win and see what what I believe is it, it, it was harder to win when I was a head coach at Tennessee State than it is at Missouri State because Again, now we don't have everything here. We, we definitely have everything we need plus more. And so if you've got that plus more, then, then it's easier to win because you, you have so many more resources. But but at the end of the day, it still comes down to recruiting. You, you, you've got to be able to recruit in and, and most places you can do that, especially in today's world. And then after the recruiting, it's all about relationships and, and you don't need resources to build relationships. You just need a caring heart.
0: Uh, Missouri State is like I said I've covered your team ever since day one there and I believe this year I think there's a bunch of different teams in the Valley that if they get into the tournament can make some noise because that's what the Valley does when they get into the tournament they seem to make some noise every single year but when you took over uh, you guys weren't in the same spot you are right now Uh, how difficult was it to stay patient when you were building a program
1: you know, it's very, it's very difficult because as coaches, we're so competitive and, and we, we want to win right now, even more than fans. And, and we know how fanatical fans can be in regards to winning right now, but, but, but it's, not a, it's not a magic potion because if it was, we, we all would do it. But, but there's a process that you have to go through in order to do it the way you want to do it. We, we believe in, in, in building it up through character. Uh, we believe in, in trying to build a nice foundation Because we want to be able to sustain our consistency and and that's more so of a goal than ours than anything else uh you know as long as we finish this year strong our four years here we've been in the top three in the league at the end of the year three out of four years and so that to me just shows a level of consistency especially when you take over a program that 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 hadn't done that in, in x amount of years so um You know, although although you want to win a championship every year, which we we obviously do, I think being consistent over a long period of time is a true testament of of how you're building the program.
0: Yeah, I've covered the league now for six seasons, and each and every year, I think the league, my own opinion, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, I think it gets disrespected nationally. And you played in the league at Illinois State. Now you coach in the league, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is the league disrespected nationally?
1: <laughs> I, I think the word is undervalued because, you know, when you lose a Wichita and a Creighton, you know, what you lose is you, you lose programs that operate like most Power Five. So, so that's really flashy in, in the national uh, uh, landscape of things. When, when you watch their facilities on campus have great crowds. Right. right. And then they've had some big names come out of there. Whether you think back to when I played at Creighton, they had Kyle Corver, uh, Wichita State had Fred Van Bleet. I mean, so those names make it to the NBA. And so they, they get valued at a higher level. Uh, now, now when you lose that, what you've got to do is you've got to be able to follow that up with the same type of uh, fanciness. And and I don't think right now our league has that fancy look, but we got some really good basketball teams, some really good coaches and, um, Guys that do a fantastic job of, of building a program the right way. There you go. You're back.
0: Um, as a coach, what is it like to experience the conference realignment that the Valley and so many other leagues are currently going through? Uh, frankly, do you care? Is it just like, uh, here are the opponents, let's go play them? Or is it something you kind of keep an eye from afar on?
1: You know, it's just um, one of those things that's really out of our control. Um, I, I, I do think that um, all, all change ultimately ends up being the best, Be, because if, if you want to become who, who, who you want to become, you, you can't do that by remaining who you are. And so I, I think that as coaches, what we have to focus on is uh, understanding that a lot of that is out of our control, but sometimes uh, change may be better sooner and, and then now other times it, it may be better later but but I do think that from a strategic standpoint the people that are making these decisions they understand what they're doing and, and I think that everyone's got to do what's best for them but for us what, what what we're focused on is just simply playing whoever it is on the schedule and um, you know I like what our league has done this year in regards to that adding Murray State Belmont UIC, obviously keeping that Chicago market is going to be a a great idea uh, due to the fact that Loyola has been so successful. We we don't want to lose that city. Uh, And and I I believe in UIC as a program. I'm I'm from Illinois, uh, early two thousands back when they had guys like Cedric Banks. And I believe his name was Martel Bailey. Those guys, those guys, those guys,
0: those guys were good. We played them when I was at Northwestern, the year before I got there in Evanston, we lost. The year I sat out, we went down to UIC. Oh, and they put it on us. And all of a sudden, UIC wasn't on our schedule anymore because those teams were those teams were loaded. They all went to the same high school, those guys, Westinghouse High School in Chicago. Sure. Um, it, and you're right. I mean, there's just so much talent there. It's interesting you mentioned Belmont and Murray. You know them so well because you were in the OVC all those years. And what outstanding facilities Belmont has. And then the same could be said for Murray and the fan bases. So, you know, it's hard losing Loyola Chicago because of Final Four and what they were able to do nationally. But man, you added some teams that uh, you talk about undervalued. Murray's in the top twenty-five right now. It's almost like you—you you almost didn't lose anything.
1: Yeah, I, I tell my staff all the time, our league got better, and and I know that firsthand because I've had to compete against Murray State and Belmont while yeah. we're Tennessee State. And I've even in my recruiting meetings, I've told my staff, "Hey, we've got to we've got to recruit better now, because uh, Murray State they 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 produce NBA players year in and year out. Uh, Belmont, I always joke uh, when when if I ever made it uh, out of the OBC as a head coach, I would never play Belmont again. <laughs> but now they're going to be in our league, and so uh, the, the Missouri Valley's done a fantastic job in regards to making our league better." And and if those teams are in our league right now this year, we would have maybe five or six teams that are in the top 100 net. I know that Murray State and Belmont, ourselves, along with Loyola, and I believe Bradley currently are in the top 100 in the net. And so um, that that speaks volumes. That's
0: funny how you always have a team or a school that you're like, yeah, I don't want to see those guys again. The only good thing for, for me is going down to Belmont I get to leave my wife and three kids go out in Nashville for a few days. So I know you had that feeling at Tennessee state, but for me in Chicago, it's just a change of scenery that at least I enjoy. Uh, Tell us about the rebound foundation that you and your wife founded and what it means to you guys.
1: You know, it it means a lot. And um, I I think, you know, when you start your philosophy as a coach, I I think one of the best things to do is, is use the experiences that you've experienced in life to build that. And, and so, you know, my wife, Christina and I, we, we both come from families in which domestic violence uh, has been a, um, a serious problem. And, uh, you know, we, we together feel like that we, we should try to make a difference in people's lives because we have the platform, we have the resources. And so what we did was we, we thought about how we could do that. And, and this started when I became the head coach at Tennessee State. And so um, we, we basically, Uh, wanted to uh, uh, build uh, safe houses for uh, women and children that have been uh, victims of domestic violence. And it really started off as a, you know, uh, uh, a dream, uh, in in my wife's words, uh, a message from God that that she shared through a dream. And, um, you know, it's really taken off since we've been here at Missouri State. And so basically what, what ends up happening is once a, a, a victim, a lady and, and her family or children leave a shelter uh, for protection, we, we, we provide for them for upwards of a year to a year and a half, and, and that, that includes housing, uh, that includes food, clothes, uh, all the necessary uh, building blocks or rebuilding blocks in their case for life. and so. Um, it, it's something that's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, my wife, Christina, she does most of the work with it, but, uh, our Springfield community, as well as the community back in Nashville, uh, have really helped us change people's lives.
0: Uh, you and her have had quite the journey just as parents, you know, and it's been documented and how, how do you express those journeys that you guys have been on as a couple personally with your team? You know, is that something you dive into? Uh, I played for coaches, some of them were a little more transparent, some of them were a little more reserved, and you and I are around the same age, and we grew up in a different era, right, where the coach was kind of here, and maybe they didn't really really talk at our level a lot, there was a lot more talking down to, right, when we played and and other guys coached, but the world has changed, things have evolved, how do you kind of convey that message to your squad?
1: Well, you're, you're exactly right. And, and that was something that I, that I had to learn as a head coach, um, you know, back when I got the, the, the opportunity at Tennessee State. And, and after my first year or so, I, I, it was apparent to me that, hey, you're, you're going to have to change and, and you can't coach the way you were coached. You're going to have to get more on their level uh, because uh, these, these players today, they're very smart and intelligent and uh, they, they would rather do life with you than, than, than play for you. And so we are very transparent in, in what we share with our players. Uh, you know, my wife, Christina, and I, we've had some hardships in regards to uh, losing a child at birth. And that was something that, you know, changed our lives forever. And, and we've shared that message with with, our, with all of our teams uh, about the impact of, of you know, something as, as significant as that can have on your life because of the adversity that you have to deal with and how you go about dealing with it. And, and, and just being a, a, a better coach due to the fact that I am now a parent. You know, um, prior to being a parent, I didn't quite have an understanding of, of you know, the relationship part, uh, player-coach. But but then, you know, once you become a parent, what you realize is every kid that you coach is someone else's child. Right. And so that's how I view them first, as someone else's child and then as a player second.
0: Yeah. I- You know, I really want to dive into like the moisturizer you're using. I know you're not dying your hair yet because there's been no change. Like once in a while during games, we flash up like, by the way, Dana Ford played at Illinois State. I'm like, did we do that photo yesterday? He put on his old jersey. I mean, it's I thought coaching was supposed to be stressful. You're not aging, coach.
1: Well, it's definitely stressful. I'm, I'm not sure what, what the deal is. You know, my wife, she does buy me this special soap to use on my face. So, Oh, so maybe I do. See, I
0: knew there was something. <laughs> I knew the special soap or something. Because every year I get a little bit older, the belt gets a little bit tighter, and I'm looking over at Dana Ford. I'm like, what is he doing over there? Man.
1: Now, now I keep the grays cut pretty low so you can't see them. <laughs> but, but this right side of my hair, it's receding pretty good.
0: Uh, I, I want to go. I only got a couple more questions for you. And... I did a, a unique game of yours this year. you welcomed a top 25 team into Springfield and BYU. Uh, for those that don't know Missouri State, they're led by an outstanding scorer named Isaiah Mosley. Now, coming into that game, he was not playing his best basketball. We talked before the game. And during that game against BYU, not only did he not play well, he barely played. Seven minutes, no points. And you lost that game. And, you know, when I was calling the game, obviously, I picked up on, wow, the the guy who's averaging almost 20 points a game is barely playing. And I thought right there was going to be a crossroads for him, for you, for everyone. And go back and look at his game log right now. Guy has been balling. He went on a stretch there where multiple, multiple, I repeat, 40-point games. Um, What was that like for you as a coach when you know you have to send a message, You're playing a top 25 team, you're on national TV, and there's this friction right now, you and your star player. What is that like to be on the sidelines in your shoes?
1: Well, for me, it it was an easy decision um, because uh, when I was uh, the head coach at Tennessee State, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, listen to Rick Barnes talk one time. I'm not sure if he was still at Texas or or at the beginning of his stint at uh, Tennessee. But, but he said a quote that, that I'll never forget, and, and we share it around here a lot. And, and what he said was, he's not afraid to lose a game for his culture. And, and um, you know, I, I really believe that. And, and, and I'm not afraid to lose one game, whether it be BYU at home, top 25 team, or whether it be uh, Arch Madness Sunday afternoon playing for a chance to build an NCAA tournament. If guys aren't doing the things that they need to do consistently, then, then someone else has to get an opportunity. And, and that's simply what, what, what we believe in. And, and we believe in giving an opportunity when it's, when it's, when it's earned and, and giving that opportunity to whomever, no, no matter who they have to uh, get their opportunity from. And, and, and at that case, uh, Zay, who's done a phenomenal job over his you know, three-year career here, he just, he wasn't playing very well. And so we, we couldn't leave him out there because we would be going against our culture. And uh, what one of the things that I know about Zay is he, he wants to play. If if nothing else, the guy well, he's probably playing in the gym right now. So <laughs> you know, uh, we we knew that he would take it and respond the right way. But but um, you know, our players they don't have to be perfect, but but they do have to try to do their best.
0: Last question for you. And we appreciate your time. How do you change as a coach from October to as we approach March? And it was interesting to hear that you're not going to kind of let one game affect your culture. I don't know. I'd be a little bit different if it was the conference tournament coach. You're a better man than me. I'd be like, you want us up? something? We can prove this message earlier in the year. So you're a better man than me. But how do you change from the beginning of the year to as you get into Arch Madness in the month of March?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely change, whether that be uh, uh, the length of practice time. Uh, whether that be what we're trying to do offensively. We, we, we tweak things defensively. Uh, and so, you know, it, it depends on what you're, what you're playing for. Uh, it depends on availability of players. And, and so, um, you know, you look at us right now, we're playing about seven guys, maybe eight. So we've had to really change some of our practices and, and what we do in, in regards to leading up to a game. Uh, when guys are going through slumps, right, offensively or defensively, you may have to change some things. You know, we've been fortunate here. We, we have two exceptional offensive players. And, uh, you know, part of the, the change that we've made in the latter part of the year is establishing Gage Cram earlier in games more often throughout the game because that gives Isaiah legs to finish the game. Uh, and then defensively, we started to play a little more zone because when we go to the bench now due, due to some injuries, we're just a lot smaller. So So I think that you have to navigate through each season and, and, and your players have to be in a, in a, in a good mind frame. And, uh, you know, if, if you've got guys that like to the grind, then, then you grind them. If, if you've got guys that don't like to the grind, then, then you, you probably shouldn't grind them. But, you know, those are just a few examples of, yep. of what we do. And we just navigate our personnel.
0: So when I am on the call of a CBS game, obviously you're coaching. But when you watch it back, sound on or sound off for Tim Doyle?
1: Oh, I always put the sound on for 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 you, man. I put it on for everyone, <laughs> but I turn it up all the way.
0: When, you know. <laughs> Coach, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. And thanks for tuning in for the to the NABC Guardian to the Game podcast. Come back next time as we have another coaching star online.